0: And yeah, I know. that she is shares a name with you, Joss. But like, Can't, how fucking dare cannot. she? Cannot. How dare she? She only has one end, though.
1: That's true. That's but I true. S- just so strongly dislike. Yeah, her but still,
2: how dare she? Just so
1: strongly. I have to listen to Nick and the Captain say Jocelyn, and it's not even me. I know. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing. And now you're trying to feed him your bodily shall fluid. shall kill all of your hands. And a dog a fish kind of a tampon and of garbage. garbage. It ain't right for right you, but
0: you can protect you. like you with <laughs> 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 wow.
2: a dog.
0: Wow. Yeah. And we're to
1: the Hello everyone, and welcome to Straight Up Evil. My name is Jocelyn. I am the brunette. We've got Katie, she's the redhead. Hello! And we have Carly, she's the blonde. Hi. Tonight, we are covering the active missing persons case of Jalik Rainwalker. But for those of you who don't know, Jalik Rainwalker was just 12 years old when he disappeared from rural upstate New York on November 1st of 2007. Even though he was only 12 years old, Jalik had lived in seven foster family situations prior to his disappearance, all of those before his 13th birthday. At the time of his disappearance, Jalik was living with his legal adoptive parents, Stephen Burl Kerr and Jocelyn A. McDonald. Just want to say not all Jocelyns are created equal. Just want to point that out. Oh, same. Okay. And when we say adoptive parents, it's very important to know that that's intended to be in the legal sense. These two people were the legal guardians, custodians, and parents of Jalik at the time of his disappearance. So Jalik has never been seen since November 1st of 2007. So before we really get into this story... I just want to say to our audience that the parents in this story are going to make you really, really mad rage really mad I, I like this warning you set up benny this is a good as always here at straight up evil we're gonna let you decide for yourselves what you think happened here but for me who followed this case since it happened in 2007 and i have heavily researched this matter for this episode i cannot believe that charges have not been brought against one or both of them it's very very difficult to understand There's some speculation in this case that this is similar to Delphi in that the specifics of the investigation are being held back from us Mm -hmm. because they want to prosecute this and they're keeping the details out. But (laughs) it's 2021, we have spent 14 years longer than this
0: child was alive waiting for someone (laughs) to, to be prosecuted. I know. Like, let it out. Like let the information out. out.
1: Please. We need it. We really, really need it. So I would ask that you just go into this with an open mind when you inevitably throw something or you're pounding your fist on the steering wheel. Know that we're right there with you.
0: I can't promise that I have an open mind.
1: No, just our <laughs> I audience. Can't just okay. our
0: audience. I'm pretty okay. sure
2: that my mind not be might pretty. not be very open. Pretty
0: close. Okay. Pretty close.
2: I'm That's- pretty sure my mind is pretty close. I'm pretty sure my mind has been
1: closed.
0: I get it. I'm
1: pretty sure the door is shut. Let's (laughs) Let's just start at the beginning, Quinny's, and just see see what we can come up with here, okay? Because I think we're all going to come to the same conclusion eventually. So Jalik Rainwalker, first of all, can we just talk about his name maybe Love. one of the most gorgeous names i have ever heard he was born on august 2nd of 1995 so he would have turned 26 last week i was unable to locate the names of his natural parents but we know that he was born to a mother who was addicted to crack and alcohol right here in albany so Jalik himself was born addicted and he was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome which is the exposure of alcohol to the baby during pregnancy so let's point Point this out right now according to the mayo clinic there is absolutely no amount of alcohol that is safe for you during pregnancy so if you drink while you are pregnant you are exposing the baby to the risk of fetal alcohol syndrome i understand his mother was addicted she was in the throes of addiction probably influenced her choices but we just need to say that it's scientific factual information quinnies facts. it's facts <laughs> science it's- equals facts Science (laughs) equals facts.
2: Do the math. Science equals facts.
1: Some of the defects that are associated with fetal alcohol syndrome, improperly functioning joints to form limbs, to form fingers, vision and hearing loss, small brain size, heart defects. Then you get into the more cognitive issues, the delayed development, intellectual disabilities, learning disorders, trouble paying attention, difficulty identifying the consequences of choices and actions, which is really interesting. More of the behavioral problems like hyperactivity, poor judgment. trouble adapting to change right so difficulty planning working towards a goal trouble getting along with others and poor concepts of time that's a really broad list of things that can go wrong with fetal alcohol syndrome just to be born into that set of possibilities is just so sad from day one like it it just he he didn't have a chance from the beginning and it's just terrible just really terrible So the deck is stacked against him from the beginning. And in his early years, he was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, which makes it extremely difficult for him to form relationships with others and to understand care and consideration. Now, like we said, he went to seven foster homes. So I'm not surprised that he has problems forging
0: relationships with people.
1: He's constantly wondering if they're going to go away or if
0: he's going to see them again. Or if he's going to be taken away. Right, exactly. He's going to automatically detach
2: himself from any new newcomers.
0: So he was removed
1: from his mother's care immediately. And as we said, because he was born addicted, his mother was an addict. He was removed. And Jalik began his journey into the system where he would live with six foster families before being legally adopted by Stephen and Jocelyn. His longest stay prior to being adopted was with a couple named Jody and Larry Schoen. They had him for four years and they originally intended to adopt him, but they had a young daughter, biological daughter in the, house and Jalik exhibited some problematic behaviors towards her. And I believe eventually attacked her. That made them question whether or not they could keep him in their home. And I think that's totally reasonable. They made the hard decision not to move forward with the full adoption and they still stayed in touch with him up until he disappeared.
2: I think that that particular family is pretty admirable in this um, yeah. particular situation to say the least. However, I felt myself getting already like immediately frustrated when, when a kid is struggling like that and they're having outbursts like that, there's a reason for that. Definitely. And so it's so frustrating to me that nobody was willing to just take that extra step, go, like figure out what was wrong, like and what the, that struggle was and to like try to help him with it. Mm-hmm. Like it just was so immediately frustrating to me that everybody just wants to like give up on on this kid yes like everybody gives up on this kid
0: yeah yeah i mean maybe there was counseling usually there are in like that sort of foster care situation but just like
2: taking a leap like just like actually like seeing proof of like there being any attempt for the better well-being of the child like i i don't know it's it's
0: right off the bat
2: it becomes frustrating to me because i feel like it was a lot of people just like dropping the
0: dime on this kid it's true it's really true Totally. It's like that. um, This reminds me so much of that YouTube influencer who gave up their adopted
1: son who gave up the child. And then the sofa were like, what happened to this kid? And
0: then they had to come out with it and say that they, that they had to rehome him. Yeah. Because he like had, He was on the spectrum or something, and they like didn't sign up for that, you know. And I feel like it's let's say it's almost the same with Jalik, even though the full adoption hadn't gone through yet. I
1: do think that the Showans choosing not to adopt him shows that they did consider him. They
2: did the right thing.
1: I think they did the right thing. Mm -hmm. I do. I think it was very complicated.
2: At least they didn't go forward with adopting
1: him, knowing that they weren't going to be able to handle it. Knowing right. that they're like, if you can't right. do it, it became a matter of just being honest and saying, we can't do this. And they and have to consider su- and, and it sucks.
0: the safety of their other child too. Absolutely.
1: You know? 100%. Yeah. And then you get into the complicated situation of what if the attack escalates and there's charges and now both children are right. affected forever. By what's right. going on, you know, it's just it's really hard, and I just I immediately think of our dear friends who are in the process of adopting three mm-hmm. children. I think about there's just really good people out there who are ready and willing, and who have the kids' best interests in mind, and that reminds me of the showings. Totally. They had like
2: exactly, ha- and who have the patience and have the willingness to do that extra work. Yeah, yep, for sure. Yes,
1: unfortunately, though, in two thousand and two. Jalik was seven years old. He left the care of the Showens and he entered the home of Stephen Kerr and Jocelyn McDonald in a foster care situation. So when Jalik is brought in, he is the fifth child in the home. So Stephen and Jocelyn have three biological sons and one previously adopted daughter. And all of these children range from 7 to 14 years old with Jalik being the youngest. I'm the youngest. When you're the youngest, you gotta get yourself out there. You gotta fight to be heard, like to get your point across. I know that a lot of siblings feel like uh, siblings of the younger sibling, usually the middle sibling or the older sibling, will be like the youngest child gets all the attention. That's exactly
0: what I was thinking, like whatever
1: they want. kind of. But for the, maybe from the parents, but when it comes to the sibling chain, you are Mm. at the bottom of the sibling <laughs> chain. You know nothing. You're too young. No, uh-huh. you can't hang out with us. You don't know the password to the secret, whatever. Like, right, no, right. he went in as the youngest kid. And so I just always think of that, of him trying to show his personality. And trying to, you know, be one of, be one of the group. He's already an outsider. Jalik was actually an extremely intelligent child, which goes against what was handed to him. He was, he had a very good chance of being cognitively impaired and he was not. But he did have overwhelming behavioral issues. Like we said, it became difficult in the household with the Showans because he did eventually attack their daughter. He was often angry. He would throw temper tantrums. He didn't have that stable control over his emotions. And, you know, this is just my opinion, but perhaps that type of stability could be reached if the child could maintain a stable and adequate home for a significant period of time.
2: It's still 100% true without the stability and without the structure and without a routine or anything of substance or love or compassion or any of that shit. When you are lacking all of that shit, you are bound to be a really, really dysfunctional little thing, especially if you're a kid, nothing's fully developed. Your brain hasn't even... You don't, you haven't even fully learned everything.
0: It's so. Keep in mind, like not even the fact of like him being in the foster system and all of the stuff he's already had to deal with at such a young age. In general, kids tend to go for, oh, if I can't get any attention, at least I can get negative attention. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Especially 100%. with kid, With siblings. Lashing out. You know, yes. At least yes. he's getting the attention that way. He's 100%. He's trying
1: to get noticed. So let's talk about Steven and Jocelyn a little bit here. They live in, well, they lived in rural Washington County up in upstate New York, which is uh, like northeast of us, Quinnies. They live in a very non-traditional setting. The home that they kept, and I used the word home very, very loosely, was a two-room structure with no running water, no electricity, an outhouse for the children to use and the family to use and all All seven occupants of this structure slept in one room.
0: (laughs) Like I have have no words. I know people can live different life. People live in renovated buses, people live off the grid, people on whatever. That's totally fine and dandy. So cool. However, if you are in the foster care system, like if you're taking- foster kids in, like you have to adhere to strict protocol and you have to check the boxes off. Like no boxes are being checked here. No, absolutely not. So, I, can't, I cannot hell. understand
1: how they got the green light for adoption. Explain even to me. Even
0: fostering. Like, uh, yes. That's what I was just going to say. How? It's
2: like to your immediate next point, like in the outline too, is very much like, how did they, how is this even approved? Mm-hmm. How is this even approved? Mm-hmm. I don't understand.
1: Like I am I am concerned for the adults that live there. It's
2: completely insane like, to
1: me. And then you add five children onto it. And you're right, like and you're hey, gonna what have a, are and we you're doing?
2: gonna and you're gonna tell me that you're gonna have a generator, but that you only use it for a couple hours a day. Yes,
1: Quinny, they had a generator, but they only I use it for throw, two hours a day.
2: I will take all of your dishes and I will
0: smash all of them. Just the fact of there's no running water deems it unlivable. Definitely. Especially with two have their own children with special needs in exactly. your home. Yes. And I was under the impression that if you are being approved for foster care, you have to prove that they have an adequate living space just for themselves. Even if it's like sharing a room with another sibling, fine. Not for other siblings plus two adults. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into this
1: a little bit later because it comes into play. I'm not sure if they were showing that structure to the people right. that were, and I would like to think that they were not. I would like to think that they were saying that they live somewhere else or possibly using a different address or something at the time of his adoption because
0: but then this, is- it scares <laughs> me that they can do that under yes. the radar. Yes. Yes.
2: yes. And these are all also, these are all huge red flags immediately <laughs> yes. from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right away. We are talking red flag left, red flag in the right, red flag, southeast, red flag, northwest. Like, like paint the whole cab It's yep. red.
1: <laughs> yep. Like. So they say that they were living this way because it was, quote, good for the environment. I, I find myself so many times in this story, hearing the answer to a question and going, yeah, okay. But like, that is my stock response. Like, okay. So sure. I sure. That's 20% of the question that I just asked though. It's good. Is it good for the environment? Sure. What about your five children though? Right. Exactly. Like what is the, that answer It does not fully encompass the gravity of what you're doing. Are you doing something good for the environment? Probably. But what about your five kids though? Kids. Right.
0: And like keep in mind, we are in upstate New York. It is cold the majority of the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not feasible. It's not okay. For,
1: for it's not, I'm going to say it. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's for, one thing for if you're a family of seven no, to do that.
2: No. Exactly. Like it's one thing if you're a couple teenagers and a couple parents trying to live out this raw life, but really it's not feasible or realistic. No, to and have a
1: household family living in these conditions. It's no, not okay. absolutely not. And having all of them sleep in the same room, I have a real problem with the seven to 14 year old kids all sleeping in the same room. Room. I'm not saying that anything is going to go on, but honestly, this is, that is, that is not the example that you need to be setting for these children. It's not okay. right. Yo,
2: I have to give a shout out to, to one of my friends right now, who's taken in three kids that are little babies okay Mm -hmm. and they have not the biggest house ever it's only got four bedrooms these are three additional kids on top of the three she's already teenagers she's already got okay so she freaking brings these babies in here her her and her husband they move out of their bedroom to give the additional bedroom to the children Benny's you know
1: it's not appropriate because it's not
2: it's because children have to have these this has to be like it has to be a thing it's like they they, it has to be the kids have to be the focus and the, the primary
1: so all of the children were homeschooled and this is important this next point here is pretty important both Jalik because of his behavioral issues because of the fetal alcohol syndrome, and his adoptive sister, who was also adopted by Stephen and Jocelyn. She was also a former foster child. Both of them were considered special needs by the state of New York. And because of this, in addition to their monthly government payment for each child that they had fostered, Stephen and Jocelyn received $1,500 per month per child for their care. In 2007. But
0: that would have stopped for the daughter once they adopted her though,
1: right? No, I don't think so. I think the foster care payment from the government stops once the children are adopted. Right. But because I don't, I believe the special needs payment continues. Got it. Okay. This
2: becomes a really, this becomes a very hard part of the story for me too. This is really, really tough. Like where the greed comes in. Mm -hmm.
1: Just, let's just take Jalik alone. He was bringing in, $1,500 a month for his care. $1,500 a month in 2007, which is a lot of money in 2021. In October 2007, after having Jalik for five years, Stephen Kerr contacted the Department of Children and Family Services and asked if he could reverse the adoption of Jalik and have him removed from the home. Child and Family Services kindly informed Stephen that no, you cannot print a return label for a child and send him back. Yeah, it's unreal, unreal to me. You have legally adopted the child. In fact, you have been paid by the government for your legal adoption of this child for his care. You are legally responsible for him now until he is 18 years old. Okay. So now that you've legally adopted the child, that child is no different than your biological child. So you can't just uh, call an agency and ask if you can give your child away. You like you, you're going you to, like, to like yeah, bring your
0: child to the pound. Like it's not a yeah, thing. It's no, not a stereo not system that you no. get to return to
1: the store. Steven tells the worker that he spoke to from child and family services that Jalik threatened a small child in his homeschool group, which may very well have happened because we know he did that in the show and household. And he said that his wife, Jocelyn was afraid of Jalik. And did not want you leak in the home anymore. Again, tough titty said the (laughs) kitty.
2: You're going to need to put your dick diaper on. And you're going to need to walk out the front door like a grown ass man and take care of your shit.
1: The worker says, I understand. That sounds very stressful, sir. I encourage you to use respite care services. And respite care is a service offered to families who foster or adopt children when they need a break. And this yeah, is and this, typically used by families that have special needs children.
2: And this is, it seems like a pretty neat thing and a good idea in a way.
1: It's a great really, idea. It, it yeah. really is. Like,
2: it's so smart to really help people with that.
1: This is a network you know? of people. It works just like the foster network. You take children who are typically special needs, whose parents need a break. They come and stay with you for a period of time. In New York state, it's one week. And then you can apply for additional respite care, but the child has to return to the care of the parents before you can do another week. So it's not an extended stay situation.
0: And you can like just be a foster parent for that purpose.
1: Yes. Just for respite care. Yep. And so Jalik actually went to the home of Elaine and Tom Person. They are both licensed foster parents and they themselves do respite care. And they had actually provided respite care for Jalik on previous occasions. So this is great, actually, because he knew both of them and he felt comfortable around them. So Stephen picked up Jalik on Thursday, November 1st of 2007 from the persons. Now I want to talk about this, Quinny's. Jalik was dropped off at respite care on October 24th of 2007, and he was picked up On Thursday, November first of two thousand and seven, no one ever talks about this. But what did Jilly do for Halloween? Uh, He's a twelve-year-old kid. Did he get to trick or treat? Did he get to pick a costume? Did he get to hand out candy? Did he go with friends? Did he get to do any of the things? And I was talking about this today. I'm like, why doesn't anyone ever ask? Like. I understand that the kid went because you needed a break, but you couldn't take him back a day early so that he could go have Halloween
0: with his brothers and sisters. Like, I think that's extremely telling. that thought had never occurred to me and it should have you want your child home with you for any sort of holiday to spend with the family
1: absolutely and and maybe and we know know that they're like non-traditional so maybe they don't celebrate it but i today i was Mm -hmm. like yeah but what about his traditions yeah what about jalique's like what about being a 12 year old and just being like I want to put on a costume and dress up and like right. something about it. And I know like I've, I never met the child, unfortunately, but something about it, even looking at his pictures, like, you know, he would have loved Halloween.
0: Totally.
1: That's what I want to know. If I ever got to ask these two unfortunate individuals, one question, I think I would ask them, what did you do for Halloween
0: on October 31st of 2007? Totally. I, re- I really would. My mind is blown that you brought that up. Wow.
1: And I don't know if Tom and Elaine took took him out or did anything with him like Halloween-esque. I mean, they might have. Right. But that's not really their responsibility. I mean, his parents. Exactly. Just November 1st, Stephen comes and picks up Jalik and they go to dinner at
0: the Red Robin in Latham, Carly. (laughs) I might have been working. I don't know for sure because I didn't always work Thursday nights. Cause I would like to pick up shifts all the time, especially mm-hmm. when I first started because I wanted all the cash.
1: They were seen at eight o'clock at Red Robin having dinner. Pro- Carly was probably their server. The
0: waitress and the manager saw him like, and it could have been my old manager, Peter. It kudos. I don't know. Yep. And this is unfortunately
1: the last time that Jalik is seen by anyone other than Steven Kerr to our knowledge. And the rest of the timeline is going to come from Steven
0: which I hate. So So
1: Stephen says that he and Jalik drove back to Stephen's father's home in the 10 block of Hill Street in Greenwich, New York. Stephen said he didn't want to take Jalik to the family home because Jocelyn was afraid of him. So Stephen said instead that he took Jalik to his father's house and his father happened to be out of town at the time. So it's just him and Jalik. He said that he and Jalik went to bed around 1030. They were in separate beds, but they were in the same room, which again, I don't like it. So Stephen wakes up in the morning, November 2nd at 730, he says, and he checks on Jalik, who appears to be sleeping. Steven inspects a little bit further and he found that the bed Jalik was sleeping in had been stuffed with pillows to make it look like he was there, but Jalik was not there. I got to point this out. Okay. This is a huge detail for me. This is a huge detail. I'll get into it at the end of the episode when we do our final thoughts, but please remember that. So this is seven 30 in the morning. Okay. Seven 30 AM when you wake up your kid with special needs, is missing from your home. What do you do? Stephen Kerr took a shower and went to return some VHS tapes. Nope. 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 Mm. Terry. so bad. Nope. Same
2: reaction to Terry. Exactly. It okay. Is a Terry. Very Terry. Let me go house to a different to do. spot. Let me go. Oh, let me just drive to a completely different location. Just, when he gets <laughs> back
1: to the house, Julie still isn't there. So it's only then that he decides to call nine one one at eight fifty seven a.m. Now he told the Greenwich Police Department that he thought Jalik ran away because his overnight bag, his duffel bag that he had when he was in respite care, that was gone. And then he told the police officers that he last saw Jalik wearing a yellow fleece hoodie and jeans. So, I'm sorry, do most children sleep in a yellow fleece hoodie and jeans? Yes. Yep. Or so flaky, exactly. like so sketch.
2: So sketch. no sense.
1: And Stephen also gave the police a note that he said Jalik had left, which read, Dear everybody, I'm sorry for everything. I won't be a bother anymore. Goodbye, Jalik. So, Quinny's, are you thinking about Bonet yet? Oh, my God. Patsy Ramsey waited seven minutes. Five forty-five a.m. Her alarm goes off. Five fifty-two. She's on the phone with nine-one-one to call the police when she woke up and found John was not in her bed. Seven mm-hmm. minutes. They had a four-story mm-hmm. house. They had a finished basement. We covered John We're going to cover her again. But this is a seven-minute window. She also found a note. Right. And she Mm -hmm. still calls the police in seven minutes. And a lot of people point to this fact and say that that is part of what makes her guilty. Stephen Kerr waited an hour and 27 minutes before he called the police. I really want us to think about this because you think in your mind, okay, he's a 12-year-old kid, right? JonBenet was much younger. Maybe you give him more time. Maybe Maybe he's outside. Maybe he's whatever. But please keep in mind, Julie did not live there. He had no frame of reference with that house. He didn't know anybody around. He doesn't have friends to be outside playing with. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a reason to sneak out. It's it doesn't probably make cold. any fucking sense. It's cold. Exactly. Doesn't make any sense. An hour and 27 minutes go by before he calls the police. But Carly, he did call the police. Too late. So the home in Greenwich, where Jalik was last seen by Steven, was searched extensively by the police department. And they uncovered... <gasps> The duffel bag that Steven said Jalik had taken with him was stuffed into a corner of the garage under some boxes.
0: Oh, so it was hidden? Oh, oh. so like, I and I know right Jalik
1: was a very intelligent child, but I'm not sure mm-hmm. that a 12-year-old mm-hmm. has the foresight to hide the duffel bag are so you that you me? don't look
0: like I really don't no, no, Mm-mm. no, 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 nope. no, no. In a house that he didn't even live with. Okay, do we know the I don't want to like say the address, but like, do we know the address of this home? Like, do we know how yes. rural this, this home?
1: It is not. Was? No, I'll send you a picture of the house. It's actually okay. a very nice older, like a, a farmhouse looking type, cool. but it's on a, a residential street. I mean, there's houses all around
0: there's neighbors there's yep
1: steven and jocelyn publicly maintained that julie ran away they told investigators that julie was suicidal this is about 48 hours into the investigation they start floating that he may have killed himself and they also said that he was quote homicidal and had made threats he is a 12 year old suicidal homicidal child according to his parents. In the same breath, Stephen and Jocelyn tell investigators that Jalik was not on any medication for his special needs and he had never received therapy for his mental conditions while in their care where is that 1500 bucks going okay because uh, you don't have electricity bill. you don't have running water you don't have any of the amenities and you're not getting the proper care for this child where's the 1500 bucks going yeah it
0: makes no sense oh man
1: i want to see this note there's a lot of letters in this story a yeah. lot yeah yeah. Like a lot, like too many, like almost like they're all coming from the same person. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we have a missing juvenile. This is extremely serious. So, there was an extensive search conducted in the surrounding area of the Greenwich House, which turned up absolutely nothing. And as the days are passing and Julie has still not been seen or heard from, you know, the reality of winter in upstate New York really starts to set in. And there's just no way that a child could survive on his own out in the no. cold. So that means that yes, Julie could have committed suicide as his parents insisted, or he could have met with foul play. Either way, just a few days after he disappeared, the police are losing hope that he's alive because of the elements and because of the total lack of physical evidence. They decide to question the parents, which is what a competent police department will do when a child goes missing. Jocelyn actually agreed to take a polygraph but the results were inconclusive and Steven refused to take a polygraph. Now I can't hold that against him because I wouldn't take a polygraph and I can't hold it against them that they lawyered up because I also would lawyer up. But this is about the time when Steven said Jalik had probably joined a gang because Jalik is biracial and he wanted to live with other biracial or black individuals. At the top of this episode, I did not tell you audience out there that Jalik is biracial Because it has absolutely nothing to do with the facts of this case. And every time that we introduce a white individual on the show, I don't go out of my way to tell you that they're white. So there's really no reason to introduce the fact that Jalik is biracial. It has nothing to do with this. But it does have an awful lot to do with this ass backwards fucked up mindset of this man that he would say that just because he's biracial he's 12 and so he probably joined a gang like you can go like you can go stick your head in a toilet sir I'm
0: sorry I did <laughs> not know that green which is really known for its gang, gang activity. activity yep Ooh. and then Tom and Elaine person, the respite
1: caregivers, Mm -hmm. they were questioned by the police and they were able to effectively disprove Stephen's claim that Jalik had written a note explaining that he was running away. Elaine actually told the police that Jalik had been assigned that note by Stephen as part of Homework. Remember, he's homeschooled by his parents. Tom Person actually saw Jalik write it while he was in their care, under the instruction of his adoptive father. So this note that Stephen has now given to investigators and blatantly lied about, saying that it was a note that Jalik wrote because he was running away, was actually. Instructed to be written by Stephen himself. Why is there all of this evidence
2: pointing towards one thing that is not being? investigated. Oh God. I'm trying so hard not to just be screaming. I know. Really. I, know.
0: <laughs> I have it's so many it's angry angry notes. Like like I every time.
2: It's so infuriating to me that you have all these signs pointing to him and yet he's not being like, a. he's not at least
1: being. Well, he's lawyered up and there is nobody there. I know that that's working against the police department right now. Flyers are being put up all over New York state with Julie's photo. I remember seeing them. Facebook groups are popping up dedicated to sharing information, you know, all the standard things that you see in a missing persons case. But what makes this unique is that Stephen and Jocelyn are not involved in any way. To this day, they have done absolutely nothing to search for Jalik. So in December of 2007, this is a month that Jalik's been gone, Stephen Kerr is spotted ripping down flyers detailing Jalik's missing persons information and a vigil for his safe return in both the town of Greenwich and Cambridge. He is... Taking, they are up in public places and he is ripping them down. And someone calls the media and says, uh, I think you should know the parent of this missing kid is out ripping down his missing persons posters. Kerr went on to say that he was ripping them down because the people who were organizing the vigil were, quote, slandering him. I am going to put it to you, okay? I'm going to ask you to think about the Ramses. I'm going to ask you to think about Madeline McCann's parents. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to think about the parents of famous children who have gone missing or who have been who, who are part of an unsolved homicide. Did you ever once see the McCanns or see the Ramseys? not do something in service of finding out who killed John Bonet for fear of their reputation. Do do you, I mean, and plenty of people think the McCann's are guilty. Plenty of people think the Ramsey's are guilty, but did you ever hear them say, I'm not going to. So now we got a month later, early January, 2008, Steven comes forward with a letter. Oh, Oh, a a letter. Oh, I'm so shocked. He says that he received it anonymously. Jalik is still alive, needed a foot soldier for this war on drugs. Picked him up route 40, post 30. He's okay. No fake. He says, asks his mama and papa, who are the macaroni family? My cat named Diamond. Why does Franty yell fire? Don't try to look. We are not there.
0: That's a lot to unpack. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot there. First thoughts. Steven typed this note to make it sound what like he would think. A black gang member would sound like. What he
1: already exactly. said, and he already set it up.
0: He already, he already set, set, it up. set it
1: up. War on drugs portion yeah. Is, yeah. A, is just that hooks you right back up to away. the gang. So Jalik did have a cat named Diamond who lived on the rural property with them. So my cat named Diamond, he did have a cat named Diamond. This letter was typed. And, you know, I know that most of the time, as soon as you join a gang, you get a Microsoft word license for sure. (laughs) Like you're telling me that the gang is typing up letterhead.
0: (laughs) You you know what I'm saying? They need uh, to keep their library card active to make sure they can go to, (laughs) I know that those gang members go through the
1: process of (laughs) typing up a letter to people. you you know what I mean? Uh, Like just beyond. I want,
0: I want to know if they fingerprinted that damn note. And if well i would pay money that there are no other fingerprints on that paper aside from, a from his
1: yeah So in late January of 2008, the Greenwich Police Department named Stephen Kerr as a person of interest in this case. We already knew that he was, but now the police are publicly stating this and they are publicly pleading with Stephen and Jocelyn to talk to them. And George Bell, who is the chief of police in this case, who who gave everything that he had to Jalik, he did everything that he possibly could to investigate this case. Every time he's in the media, Every time he does an interview, every time he's quoted in the paper, he is like, Stephen and Jocelyn, if you are reading this, please do the right thing
0: and talk to us. It would help their reputation if they did. It really would. So why wouldn't they want to do that? They care about their reputation so much. The police name him as a person of
1: interest and they go on to say that they have surveillance video of Stephen Kerr's van driving outside the Glens Falls National Bank in Greenwich after midnight on the night in question. Right, so he's previously said that he was sleeping at that time. And additionally, police inform the public that cell tower records indicate that Stephen Kerr likely traveled to South Troy. His phone pings- in South Troy on that night, in addition to the travel through Greenwich in the early hours of the morning. The police soon execute another search warrant on the Greenwich home, again, the home of Stephen Kerr's father, and they take a computer this time. Nothing comes of that. And after this, Stephen and Jocelyn hinder the investigation further by filing a lawsuit against this search, saying that- An improper search was conducted.
2: They probably should have called Kava to get in on that computer.
1: Most definitely. Definitely. Probably should have called Kava. I mean, I wonder if Kava would take a look at it. Listen. Homeboy, detective, solver, genius of a lifetime. If you're <laughs> listening. Mathematician, technical <laughs> genius. Yes. If you're oh, listening, man. please get in touch. Ah, and we, will, we will put you in touch with the Greenwich Police Department. Absolutely. So we got to talk about Barbara really. Super so she amazing. is Jalik's adoptive grandmother. She is Jocelyn's biological mother. And by all accounts, she adored this kid. Absolutely adored Jalik. She actually during this time petitioned the court to obtain custody of Jalik, should he be found, but the court denied her request. But she wanted it. She thought if he had run away and he came back, he could come live with her. She would obtain custody. I mean, he was, it's so sad too, because he was clearly loved. Yeah. There were people who loved him. She was denied by the court, but Barbara continued you know, undeterred. She's working with the missing persons groups. She's papering the towns with flyers. Oh, Stephen Curry just ripped all these down. Watch me go put them all right back up exactly where they were. She's doing everything that she possibly can. And then she goes a little bit too far. So in July of 2008, Stephen and Jocelyn move out of their quote unquote home home I really want to hone in on this. This is seven months after Jalik's gone missing. Craig Freer's mom still lives in the house that he went missing from. His bedroom is untouched. Do you know what I'm saying? Asia Degree's family, they wanted to move and they ended up staying for over 10 years Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. what if she comes back? When you have hope in your heart that your child could be returned, you don't do that. So they vacate the property and Barbara fucking goes over there and breaks in Barbara. And you know what? It's definitely burglary and it's definitely a crime, but I totally understand it. Absolutely. She can't figure out what the hell's going on. And to see your daughter not engaging yeah. and not helping to look for this kid, it's gotta be like, she's, she's past the breaking point now. Yeah. She doesn't know what happened to her grandson. I, I like, I just, I get it. I get
2: it. 100%. Like Adderwood's end.
1: Yep she breaks into the house and she finds the yellow fleece quinise the same one that had been used to identify him on all the missing persons information today if you look up julie grainwalker it says that that was the last clothing that he was seen in and there it is sitting in the house I mean, think about that. You have worked so hard to get this information out to the public. And then mm-hmm. you pick up the very item that he was supposedly last seen. Devastating. In. Devast- completely devastating. Completely devastating. Barbara takes this item of clothing to the police who promptly arrest her for burglary. She turned herself in. She, yeah. she fell on the sword. She said, listen, I found yeah. this. This is how I found it. Unfortunately, the item was illegally seized. So it doesn't have evidentiary value.
0: Oh my god!
1: It, it's just—it's a horrible situation. That's—it's like the one. telling
0: evidence. Oh god!
1: Barbara oh god. has gone on to speak to the media a ton with respect to Julie's case. Barbara believes and has stated publicly that Stephen has everything to do with Julie's disappearance, and that Jocelyn is covering for him.
2: Yeah, she strongly, strongly believes it. Mm-hmm. She's totally on that wagon.
1: She stated that Jocelyn had kicked Stephen out of the home many times for violent outbursts, much like the ones that he's telling Child and Family Services that Jalik has. I guess apparently Stephen also has those. And I wonder where the child is seeing this behavior or where the child is learning that that behavior is okay. And that one time Jalik had a violent outburst and Stephen took him outside into the back of the house. And dunked Delik's head into a creek and held him underwater for a significant nope. period of time. No, nope. no, nope. no, 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 no.
2: Not acceptable.
1: Nope. Not okay.
2: Straight up abuse. Not abuse. Up. Absolutely. 100% physical, mental, emotional abuse all in one. And in response to
1: this happening, Jocelyn made Stephen write an apology letter to Jalik and made him do Jalik's chores. Okay, first of all, Quinny's, what uh, the fuck with all of these letters? Right. What 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 is this thing with this family and these letters? Oh, I found a letter. Oh, he left a letter. Oh, you did something bad. So you gotta write a letter. Mm -hmm. It's very um odd. It's very 80s. I grew up yeah. having to, I got writing assignments as instead of being grounded. And I like it. I like it, it. I like it. It is, but it's all it is, it's old school. And again, we're just, we're going to come back to this and it's yeah. just something specifically with this family. Yeah. So the national center for missing and exploited children, as well as the FBI got involved in this case and reviewed it in 2013. They released an 80-page report in March of 2013, and they recommended changing the case from a missing persons case to a probable homicide, which the police department did shortly after. I think they wanted to change the classification for a few reasons, but Mm -hmm. mostly so that they could now be investigating a homicide and they could kick up their level of evidence gathering and the protocol. It could get more extreme, you know, because now it's a violent crime. Unfortunately, Jalik's case was dealt a major blow in 2018 when the Greenwich Police Department Chief George Bell, who really, he, he did everything he possibly could. He died following a heart attack. It was very sudden. And they lost, Jalik's case lost a huge ally on that day. And in 2019, there was some renewed interest in the case. Washington County District Attorney Tony Jordan took the case under review and he said that he was following up on some quote, open items for possible prosecution. Over the years, they have done extensive searches for Jalik. Washington County is a very rural area, and there are a lot of places that could lend themselves to a search. They've searched the Battenkill. They've searched parts of the Hudson River. They've, I mean, they, they have done, they have looked several times in several places for Jalik, or at least for remains. There were remains that were identified in 2017, and they were hopeful that they could be his. They thought they were the remains of a small child. Unfortunately, they were the remains of a 17-year-old female from Colorado who had gone missing. So that was not Jalik, and we didn't get any answers out of that, only that it wasn't him. His biological mother has been located. Again, I don't know her name. She has been extremely helpful to law enforcement. She has given DNA every time it's been requested by law enforcement and continues to do so. She's fully cooperative. She wants to do anything that she can to help. Jaleek Rainwalker was last seen on November 1st, of 2007. He is a biracial male. He was five foot six and 105 pounds at the time of his disappearance. Jaleek has brown hair and green eyes, and he would be 26 years old today. If you have any information about the disappearance of Jaleek Rainwalker, please contact the Greenwich Police Department at 518. 518- or email the New York State Police at NYSVICAP at troopers.ny.gov.
0: Quinny's, what happened? What happened to Jalik? I mean, unfortunately, he is not alive. He is no longer with us. And that is extremely tragic and extremely devastating. But unfortunately, I just feel like that is the truth the bed stuffed with the pillows let's just right off the right off the cuff okay is nope. that a thing i'm sorry to me that is just a thing that people do in the movies so okay this is a huge point of mine carly yeah i'm
1: so glad you're bringing this up what carly both 20s <laughs> when when roughly were you born 80s 86 yeah right 80s yeah do you remember several sitcoms where someone would sneak out of the house and stuff the bed with pillows or blankets or whatever? Absolutely. Do you one hundred
0: percent? Do you fantastic. remember countless
1: Nickelodeon shows? So, so yes. House. So exactly. So for example, for what kind of shows are we all. talking Second about?
0: Fucking salute your shorts, but, dude. Ghostwriter. I mean, Second Fresh Prince, Wishbone,
1: Fresh Prince. right? Okay
0: sister and, sister
1: and when I'll are the sister sister
0: and oh, when sister, are the
1: sister sister Okay and when was the height of that popularity would you would you agree with me that the height of the popularity of those types of shows was probably 1993 Yeah that would be my guess yeah, yeah. right 93 to 95 Do you remember any TV shows or movies that depicted that scenario of someone stuffing their bed with pillows in the mid two thousands. We were kind of past that, right? Yeah, like we we're 100%. kind of past. We we're kind of past it by that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that is news.
1: because it's like, it's like
2: making the fake puke when you were in fucking high school to piss, <laughs> or middle school to pretend like
1: you were sick, like you were sick, or holding the fucking yeah. your like the thermometer out- in the, in the heating the pad. Yeah, It's the You can't do those things anymore. No, yeah, like the reason why you don't remember anything like that from the mid two thousands is because that was not a trope in the mid two thousands. That was a trope in the early nineties. That was a trope before Julie Crane Walker was born. This is a story that has been told by Stephen Kerr, something that he saw that it is, it is an older person's reference. It is a a 1980s person's reference. An 80s baby reference. Yes.
0: 100%. Nothing that has been told to us about Jalik from Stephen or anyone else shows that while Jalik was obviously a very intelligent child, which we knew, he didn't seem to be like a sneaky manipulative whatever. He was just straight up deceptive. with everything. He's deceptive. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So yes. why he, if it were if he wanted to leave why wouldn't he just like get up out of the bed and leave and just leave it as it were? You know what yes, I mean?
2: Absolutely. A bag that the kid allegedly fought that allegedly the kid that Julie Cook takes with, them. with him bag. is found in a corner.
1: The, like we and and don't have a response for that. And the Except police
2: what that we even find about say later. for that? Yeah, like what do you even have to say for that? How do you explain
0: that? Again, Jalik was not seemingly a deceptive child. Okay. He wasn't gonna put it there to hide for later or to frame Stephen or you know, whatever. No. No,
1: he didn't even know the house exactly. or the layout or exactly. anything. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Super convenient. Yeah. Grandpa's out of town. Total premeditation. Okay.
2: 100. Like, really? Jalik
0: didn't even go in that house, dude. Absolutely not. He was never there. No, he was never there. No, he wasn't. No. Also, absolutely not. Keep Steven, get your stories. St- and Jocelyn, keep your story straight. Did he run away? Did he run away to join a gang? Quote, unquote, right. Or did right. he commit suicide? Which is it? Yeah. Which one is yeah. it? First exactly. of all, right. second of all, if he was in a gang, he would have been, someone somewhere would have spotted him at mm-hmm. some point. Yes. Okay. First of Absolutely. all. Absolutely. And if he committed suicide, a body would have been found. You cannot tell me a 12-year-old kid who no. jumps around from foster, to foster same- home can right. commit suicide and have it be so hidden that nobody ever finds the body. This is yeah, the same no. thing with Craig Freer. Exactly. And Craig Freer, I mean, he was- 17. Like he was almost an adult. Yes. If anyone could have pulled that off, it would have been him, but he can't because it's impossible. But a 12 year old definitely can't.
1: Definitely not. Who isn't even
0: from the area. Okay.
1: Definitely not. And he, come on, he goes, this happens. On the one night, Jalik was going back into respite care the right. following day. He right. had one night at mm-hmm. home before mm-hmm. he could go back. And that's
0: when we lose him. No. Red
2: flag. That, yeah. To no.
0: me, it talks about the timing. Seriously. Is It's, I mean, it's not, the cases aren't similar at all, but like just the timing of like Audrey Heron going missing the night before her daughter's supposed to come home from her yes. month with her grandmother. Okay. Yes. Like that is just, it's too coincidental. Then the fact that they weren't involved in the search. I I have no words for that. I have no words because you can't argue that.
1: No, it doesn't make any sense. What could possibly be the justification for that? Exactly. I find it absolutely fascinating that this child who lives off the grid, with mm-hmm. no electricity, with no access to outside media, no with running no, water, with no running water, with, with, as far as we know, no other biracial or racially diverse children around him, is just yeah. coming out and saying to his adoptive father that he wants to be around biracial or Black people because that's who he is. Someone is going to have to have the conversation with Jalik about who he is and where he comes from. Right. And that whatever idea that is that's been handed to him I don't think was handed to him kindly. I agree. And I, I no. do think it was used to make him feel more alienated. I really I do.
2: I don't think he was taught a lot of things properly and that was that's part of this. It's such a big part of this and what makes it so such a tragedy.
0: And granted, like religion, you know, anyone is, oh, you know, can have their own religious beliefs. That's totally fine. Like, mm-hmm. do what you want to do. But do we know their religious beliefs by any chance? We do not. Okay, because this story sounds so much. It has a lot of parallels to this book I just read, Educated, by Tara Westover. It's a, you know, it's like a memoir of her life, and she grew up in Idaho, like Mormon family, mm-hmm. but. Just like them homeschooled, but like not schooled at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Like she ends up overcoming all of this and like getting her PhD and like going to Cambridge and Oxford and Harvard and all this stuff. It's amazing. So much of her dealing with her siblings, because like the father has like mental illness or whatever, and like just the way that like they were homeschooled but weren't. They couldn't mm-hmm. go to the hospital or the doctor because like it was you know against what they believed it just somehow it's like paralleling to me, Mm -hmm. like kind of, maybe that's what was going on in the sense. No, I totally,
1: like, I totally feel you on that. I kept thinking about Andrea Yates.
0: They could be not religious whatsoever, but when the, that sort of alternative lifestyle is usually based in some sort of Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yes. what else, cl- what else is driving cult. them to live that way right oh my god what that poor kid had to deal with when he was there barbara first of all all of her notes on the jalique rainwalker facebook page uh justice for
1: jalique yeah if you're on facebook please What'd look you up you justice for jalique and join today my heart i
0: joined it like literally today when Me she's too. like talking to him and she's just like love granny like blah, 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 love granny it's just mm-hmm. like oh my god all those
1: like the typical like uh things that grandparents share on facebook like the little heart pictures yeah. that are like thinking of you today yeah. it's like, it's so sweet it, is. it really and is heartbreaking
0: but i she feel clearly loved him most of all Like that it's just so cute but most of all it's really telling to me that like she does not speak to her own daughter anymore they're completely estranged they do not speak at all and as far from what i could tell that was barbara's doing yes like she wants nothing to do with jocelyn because she's so devastated up and upset about this it's not like jocelyn (laughs) was like i don't want to talk to you anymore barbara was like i will cut you off i don't care you're my daughter you, something happened to my grandson. Something ain't clean in the mill. I feel like that's telling like a mother wouldn't, no matter how old your, your child is, you wouldn't want to cut your child off. That's I know that Jocelyn filed
1: uh, stalking charges against Barbara after she broke into the home. Really? Um, mm-hmm, she filed stalking charges against her. And I'm telling you what, these people have a fast trigger finger with that attorney filing motions mm. and doing all the things. And I certainly hope, That when they are eventually prosecuted, which I do believe they will be, I certainly hope that we can find out the exact source of where the money is coming from for them to pay for all of these legal fees, because I certainly hope that it's not a $1,500 payment, which, by the way, I neglected to mention in our episode, they collected through 2009. So two years (sighs) into this (sighs) child's (sighs) disappearance, they were still cashing his monthly check. Crane Walker was failed Absolutely. by us, by our 100. entire, by the whole society, by the whole system
0: 100%. over and
1: over and over and over again. There was no help for him when he really, really needed it, you know? And yeah. I ta- I actually take comfort in the fact that what was very likely the last week of his life was spent with people who genuinely cared about him and enjoyed his presence. I mean, yep. Elaine and Tom person were were they are the ones who said very intelligent but very troubled. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who said he had a lot of problems but the kid was great. Yeah.
2: You just never really got to know what it was like to be fully loved. To be fully you know? loved
0: and how to handle emotions. Like that's something yeah. that most adults still need help with. You know what I mean? Exca- like one hundred. Have... True crime garage did a
1: two-part series on Julie Greenwalker, which I am so, so grateful good. for. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it was a sure. great, fantastic series, and it's it, we highly recommend it. We highly recommend everything that they do. Everything. Um <laughs> I know right that the captain believes that jocelyn has a is gonna is one day going to wake up and realize the gravity of what she has been silent about and come clean i hope um i hope i I am less optimistic about that i think it's very interesting that she was kicking steven out of the house and making him write letters that to me suggests the way that she's dealing with her husband is also the way that she's disciplining her children.
0: Yeah. It's, which is
1: really, really eerie. eerie. It is eerie. And I don't, I really don't know what to make of that, but the power dynamic to me suggests that she is way, way involved way oh, yeah. entirely mm-hmm.
0: involved oh yeah because if think about this we're thinking likely thinking like steven's the patriarch he's the controlling mm-hmm. he's the abusive, the, temper, yep. the temper whatever you're telling me that you're, good, you're the wife is going to tell him you were mean to our adoptive son so you need to write a no and you're going to be grounded and he's essentially going to do grounded it, and, right and he's going to do it either it didn't happen at all or exactly right joss like she is she's the kingpin I think that what we need is the third man.
1: I think we need, and sometimes the third man just is DNA. Mm-hmm. But we need a third party who is not Jocelyn and is not Stephen, but has information that
2: insight, yeah,
1: that can help police and prosecutors shine some light shine some light, search an area, talk to a specific person, pursue a specific line of questioning. I, I, at this point, even if
2: it's one little piece of something, it could could change the whole
0: game. Someone must have seen something, something point, especially
2: saying that the area, especially since you, you, you got you, Quinny's covered earlier about how The area was rural, but it wasn't that rural. Like Mm -hmm, there were neighbors around. There's people around. There's cars driving by. Like, how can we just disregard so many things? I just I think I think there's a major clash here
1: between the police department and the district attorney's office.
2: And I get it. And I don't want to always be
1: really, really want to pursue (laughs) this and to prosecute them. But I think that the district attorney will not take it because there is nobody.
0: I know that was my yeah. thing. I was just going to say, like, how have we not found a body? The
2: body. I know. And again, it's in cool. one of
0: those rural ass places,
1: you know, yes. we saw Israel, so keys, many places. Israel keys came here for that reason. I know came to upstate New York for the reason of being able to dispose of victims and evidence in a way that would not be found for quite some time.
0: But like, where's
1: the caseworker, dude? If we have any listeners who are social workers or caseworkers or work for Department of Child and Family Services, you don't have to tell us what state you're in. You don't have to tell us your job title. What what is the policy? What is the adoption protocol? Because I know we have friends who have gone through this process and it's very rigorous Mm. and they hold you to an extremely high standard. Um, before the child is allowed to be in your home. But what is, what is the protocol for follow-up? Are there, is there, is there any opportunity for intervention? What, how did Julie Grainwalker end up in a two room shack with no electricity? I'm pretty much begging at this point, anyone who has even the slightest bit of information to, to please reach out and talk to law enforcement. Um, or submit an anonymous tip. I don't know how many other Julie Crainwalkers are out there. I I don't know how many other kids find themselves in a similar situation. And as much good information has been spread about this case and as much as national reach that it has, I know crime junkie has recently covered it. Mm-hmm. We're covering it. True crime garage has covered it. I know Morbid a, has covered it. A I'm really glad of,
2: that we've covered it. Like it's, it too.
1: needs to be covered. As much it as good solved. as much as good information as is out there about this case. And if they are prosecuted, it's going to really expose a lot of systemic issues with the foster care and adoptive mm-hmm. system. And we yeah. really, really need that to happen. Yeah. We really need that to get out there so that more people can be aware of how real this is. This is, this is Carly last week with the fucking with going the substandard as substandard. <laughs> Older. Okay. This is, this is just petty as hell, Love. but like, those eric rudolph and israel keys who were raised off the grid who were raised with ass backwards christian identity beliefs who were raised in very hateful households they were taught how to survive by their parents yeah they were taught to hunt fish be able to track things navigate the forest like they learned how they those skills were passed on from Mm -hmm. their parents to their children. That that is the stark contrast here. These people are living out in the middle of nowhere with nothing. That's a great point. And the children are not being taught how to survive. That is a great point. They are just being left not taken care of.
2: 100 neglected straight neglect
1: and i'm not suggesting that eric rudolph (laughs) and israel keys parents are doing doing it good doing doing it right like no (laughs) like i'm not saying that but there's something to be said for for trying in some way to better the lives of your kids and so we really need somebody to come forward and say something we really do I know we don't even it's, have like a we teacher.
0: Got. We don't even have like a teacher or a classmate, a friend. We don't have anything.
1: No, because he was completely isolated. I know. But yeah. again, if you have any information on this case, please contact the Greenwich Police Department, 518-692-9332. New York State Police at N-Y-S-B-I-C-A-P at troopers.newyork.gov. It's been 14 years and it's time. It's really, really time. It, it is time. Us. Okay, Binnies. All right, Queenies. All right, love you, Love binnies. you, love Queenies. You. Bye. Bye. Listen to Straight Up Evil.